This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. How y'all doing? If you don't know what I'm talking about, by that reference, Google it. And when you find out, take it all in, absorb it. Tell me what you think. Mm. Good morning, Vietnam. Most people my age know what I'm talking about. So do a lot of others, but that's right in the wheelhouse of someone that grew up in the 80s like myself. So I hope everybody's doing all right. Um, you know, staying safe as we're told to do and most of us are doing. Although I have seen some uh, crazy uh, slip-ups and ignorance towards the subject, but I don't want to bring it up today, to be honest with you. I'll bring it up next day. Because today I got, uh, actually my old roommate, I got a great guest today, Darcy Tucker. Um, most of you hockey fans, I would think of anybody I've had on this podcast, most people, the demographic that listen to this are going to know who Darcy Tucker is, right? I mean, you're going to have to. He's done so well. First of all, the obvious, the obvious. Okay, he played for the Leafs. Now, in, in recent history, I don't know if there's anybody that played with more passion. I'll get into that. So if you're a Leafs fan, you likely love this guy. Leafs fans, like Habs fans, Love their own, but I mean, like, love to shit on them, you know, on a daily basis because it's part of the news cycle, but they're heroes, you know. So Tucks played for the Leafs and the Habs, which is a rare thing. I mean, not as rare as you would think. There are many examples. The most prominent guy, God, who uh, was it a couple of years ago? Placanic got picked up. That was only for a few games. Mike Komoserik. Uh, there's been a few. Scotty Thornton, our buddy there. There's been a few. I was in the leaps on the, uh, I mean, there's been a few. I'd say there's been 50 to 100 altogether, but still, that's a, in the history of the NHL, it's not a lot. I'm totally guessing, but if I said 100, I think I'd be high. <laughs> that played for the Leafs and the Habs. Um, look it up. Hmm. Nice project for some of you listeners. Um. Tucks, where do I begin? Before, before, before I do, okay. Um, before I go any further with Darcy Tucker, I, I guess I should send out, not I guess I should, I should uh, condolences to the Kobe Cave family, not only his family, his friends. Seemed like he was a, a real team player from everything I'm reading and I'm hearing. I look at his stats, they're well-rounded. Not that stats mean anything, but you can often tell about a guy, right? Like in order to, in order to score goals, you got to be able to get along with your teammates consistently. And, and be, so he was in Swift Current for four or five years there in junior. He had some good numbers, 
close to a point a game and lots of penalty minutes. Not 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 an over amount. He's not a goon, but he'd drop the gloves if he had to. He'd hit. Um, again, I didn't see him play other than the odd call up that he was in a few shifts. I watched uh, on TV when the Oilers were playing. But he had, you know, his career was a little deeper than that. Played five years out west and, um, from North Battleford. Before that, he played for North Battleford in junior B, I think it was. And he went pro, you know, Providence, Boston really liked him, used him uh, a little bit. It seemed to me that he was only going to get more NHL games. Again, not that people should be judged on NHL games. I'm the first one to tell you that, or, or, or statistics. I'm, I'm just saying that the, the future was bright for the kid. Uh, he was happy. He wanted to be a hockey player, and he'd made himself into one of the best hockey players in the world. So, and often I'm just saying, in order to stay on one team, for four or five years and have decent stats like you did in Swift Current, the odds are you're a good guy, right? You, you, you couldn't do that, you know, without the communication, without confidence, without respect from your teammates because it would just all fall apart. It would be a house of cards, right? You, Mike, some guys might be able to put off, pull off a year or two here and there. If you stay with the same team, especially in junior, you only get so many years, they want you around, and especially if you're wearing a letter. Which he did. Anyway, uh, yeah, condolences. That's just bad news. Uh, brain bleed from a clot or whatever it was. Um, I heard some people on Twitter bring up like hitting and, and the violence in hockey and the fighting. And, you know, that's poor taste. And from what I believe, he had a cyst. But, you know, even if he didn't, I, I don't know that you need to be talking about that right now. Um, especially amid this, the, the, the current state that we're in. I mean, people are down, they're negative. This was an absolute punch in the face to the hockey world. Uh, the closer you get to Colby, the closer, um, you know, people seem to be that, that loved him and respected him. Again, I never met him, but I just can't imagine. I can't. So love, support, prayers, all the above uh, to everybody involved that knew that kid and then all his family. Now, moving on, uh, let's see. So, you know, my, my guest today, Darcy Tucker, I think I'm going to spend this whole preamble kind of talking about Darcy because it's going to be too long, the, the interview. He's too, too much of an interesting cat. He's got a lot of stories and uh, even just accomplishments. We could just talk about his accomplishments and we'd, we'd be an hour in before we got to the NHL. So just to give you a little idea of my history and my, my knowledge of Darcy Tucker, uh, first of all, before we even start his story, you know, Darcy and Jr. is one of the most decorated, if not the most decorated ever, but he's one of the most. And by decorated, I mean the championships he won. And then, of course, there's individual awards. But if you just went championships, you know, he's <clears throat> three Memorial Cups. For those of you that know what that is, that's the junior championship for the Canadian Hockey League, which is uh, the Quebec Major Junior League. It's in zones, right? The Quebec Major Junior League is Atlantic Canada and Quebec. Then you got the Ontario Hockey League, which is Ontario. Then you got the Western Hockey League, which is Manitoba, over to BC. And, and uh, in each of those markets, there's a United a team from the States or two. Uh, in, in the Western League, uh, Tri-City, Spokane, uh, you know, uh, the, the rivalry I often talk. Well, Seattle is there, Portland. There's a lot in the West. Uh, Everett uh, was, was there. Um, so, and anyway, but it's, it's called the Canadian Hockey League. And... Every year, the winner, the representative from the Q Quebec League, from the OHL, and from the WHL go to a tournament called the Memorial Cup, and it also has a host, wherever it's going to be. So the host organization has two teams in, or host league has two teams in. 
and the other two, uh, you know, have their winner advances. So it's one of the toughest things to win in sports because a, you've only got a few years to do it. The odd junior makes it when they're 16 makes to really, you have one or two per team. Rare cases, you have three, maybe four, but you know, sometimes you have none, no 16 year olds and 20 year olds by rule. There's only allowed two or three on the team. So you mostly it's 17, 18, 19 year olds for the most part. Uh, and I would even stretch it further to think it's mostly 18, 19 year olds, but in any case, you don't have many chances to win. And most players who play a major junior don't play enough years to win three. They don't, I'm, I'm guessing the average career because you get guys coming in for one game, can't make it or, or 10, or they pay a year or they, they make it when they're 19. And when you're 20, you can only pick two. So you know, the superstars are the ones they keep. So there's lots of reasons that that's really difficult. Plus I'm not, a, not without, losing sight of the fact that each league, I, I don't know, I'm not going to look down and see how, exactly how many, but each league has around 20 teams, right? So then you've got 60-plus teams that are battling for the Memorial Cup at the end of the year. So on top of only having a small window to do it in, you've got to battle against double the teams that are battling for the Stanley Cup, and that's already a lot, right? To win a cup, you got to be one in 32. You, you have a great team, you have a great career, not win one. Hello, Eric Lindros. Hello, Marcel Dion. So it's tough. So Tux, my years junior, we're, we're really, my technically the years that I could play were 93 to 97. But in 92, 93, I was a 15-year-old, and you're allowed three games. So technically, my first year in the WHL was 92, 93. I got in on the exemption rule. I played three games as a 15-year-old, and then I played some playoffs. So I was aware, I'm saying, of Darcy Tucker when I came in. And um, the year before was his 16-year-old year. He's two hockey years older than me. So in 91, 92, they won it. And then they won it again in 93, 94, and then they fucking won it again in 94, 95. All years, and I was drafted into the WHL in 91, so I still was watching it on TV. I was very much part of that whole era that, that, that and, and you know for most of it I was playing against them but they were unreal and I believe it's Tux and it's uh Tyson Nash and Ryan Huska that have three uh there was lots that got two Nolan Baumgartner uh, Chris Murray oh god on their first one Scott Niedermeyer was there for the first one Zach Boyer another ex-teammate I'll have on here at some point scored the winner in overtime on a breakaway in Seattle and that was in 91-92 I'll never forget that I was golfing in Cornell I'd just been drafted to the Tri-City Americans and I was watching the Memorial Cup. It was the first time I really knew what was going on because I was drafted to the league. But anyway, that's unbelievable. So, and they were in my division. So you'll often say, people have said to me, you know, Tri-Cities would run into Kamloops every year, which we would, right? And, you know, that sucked because you guys couldn't, didn't go on to win anything because, you know, the best team, arguably the best team ever, and you could make that argument. I don't care what you say. Three Memorial Cups in five years. Well, you'd have to be. No one got more, right? And, and, so you'd, you'd have to think that um, they're one of the best. Uh, and they're most, they're, they were in my experience. So we would run into them. But it was the opposite, I thought, because where all kinds of scouts were going to watch Kamloops, they were in our division, right? And my team, Kamloops used older, like Kamloops were real deep, real deep. I'm going to name you some that came through for those three Memorial Cups. Most of these guys had two. But at the beginning, it was Niedermeyer. Corey Hirsch was the goalie. Um, then, you know, in my era, uh, which was just the year after, uh, Darcy Tucker. Then you had Nat Domnichelli. People forget what a bullet that guy was. He was a rocket. Played a little bit in Calgary Flames. 
and then went to Europe. I think his NHL career was over by 25, but whew, Bullet could have played, I don't care how long. Then you had like Shane Doan and Jerome McGinley. These guys would be like on the, often on the third and sometimes fourth lines for their first year, right? Like, so, you know, of course, people ask me, I got drafted eighth, again, 11th, I had more points. Well, yes, but I was playing all the time. We didn't, we used me and Lankow the most. We were two leading scorers. We were 17. We had three years of junior left, right? Right, they had 18, everybody, they're, they're 17 year olds, Aginla, Doan, they're 18 year olds. Uh, I'm just saying this one particular year, you know, say Nat Dom Kelly, say Bob Motti, say uh, Randy Petruck, great goalie, Rod Branch, great goalie. Uh, you know, Nolan Baumgartner, Jesus, that guy was, same thing, I think he's got two or three World Junior Championships, uh, Memorial Cup, Memorial Cup uh, MVP, all that shit, or uh, sorry, defenseman. Tuck's got Memorial Cup MVP one of those years. He was Memorial Cup All-Star two years. Just, they ripped it, man. They ripped it. But I used to be aware, so our, our leading players, I won't say our best. I hate to use that to subjective. But our leading stats getters, say myself, Damon Lanka, Brian Boucher was our goalie within that league. That same year, he's our age, right? So the leaders of Tri-City during 94, 95, say the last one that they won, we were all 17. Um, God, I can go. We had the odd guy but i'm just saying like they, they had they were deep they had players at every level and and damon and i weren't drafted yet so to play against darcy tucker who had been drafted and he's playing all the time and they're doing well i didn't care if they beat us eight to three we would get noticed okay how are you going to react now it's not a great team move right to, to, to lose eight to three i know that but when you are you can take the take it with a grain of salt and say okay like we're losing but i can really do my best and you go out if you keep trying and all those scouts are watching all the time and you're going to score and we, we scored a lot against Kamloops not as much as they did but Lanks and I were successful so I think it went into helping us get drafted having a team like that have a juggernaut right in your own division I mean there's like you know each each league has two or three or four divisions right in our division was the best team ever arguably I think London Knights might have done it as well three and four or five years but that's a lot anyway Oh, God. And they had Chris Murray. Jesus, what a tough guy. He ended up playing with us in Montreal for a little bit, too. Great guy. Great, great fella. Always smiling. Real tough, though. Real tough. And Murr fought Steve McLaren in 93-94, the Memorial Cup. Check that out for those of you that uh, are fights of the rough stuff. Those of you that aren't, don't check it out because it's one of the best I've ever seen in my life and probably the best junior fight you ever will see. Memorial Cup, 93-94. Uh, let's see. Um, they had Daryl Sador. There's an uh, NHL D-man for you. Mm. A yeah, good, good D-man for, for a while. I won't go as far as to say great, but maybe you could make an argument that he was great in the NHL. Um, David Wilkie. God, another great junior. Didn't quite play some NHL games. Rocket Rod Stevens. I mean, this guy was a bullet. He was small. But Rocket Rod Stevens was a bullet. Ryan Huska, right? I think Huska is one of the guys who got three. Uh, another NHLer is that probably doesn't. I'm not going to say doesn't get the credit he deserves, but you know he was a he was a good a, a great great hockey player. Huska, a great junior. Clearly, he's got three as well Memorial Cups, and a real real good pro. Uh, and you know, there's a reason he's an NHL coach right now. Mike Mathers, jeez, yeah, I forgot that. Mike Mathers had like 110 points one year. Jesus, they were stacked. Um, Aaron Keller, he was a great D. Guys from that era know who I'm talking about, uh, Aaron Keller. 
defense, small little guy. I think he went overseas. Uh, I mean, like point of game uh, for a small defenseman at the time wasn't easy, especially in the Western Hockey League. Uh, God, I mentioned a Ginla. I mean, Brad Lukowicz. Brad Lukowicz, God bless him. I love their, his style of play. He was on Kamloops, which at the time, I think, in my mind, it kind of hurt him for playing a lot because he was a great D. He was just so far down the depth chart for Kamloops. I mean, as as one of their D, he was like number five or six, and that's no insult to, to Brad. But what I've often said, it's good to be on a winner. Same thing, Tyson Nash was on their third or fourth line. Now, what are those guys? Nash played about 400 games in the show. Maybe more. And Lukowicz has two Stanley Cups with two different teams, the Dallas Stars and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that was a guy that wasn't the best defenseman on his junior team. So I'm telling you, a lot of, a lot of people just pass it off as uh, they don't when, – when, when they only start watching when pro starts. They don't realize the junior careers these guys have and what goes into it. It's not always stats. It's often the team that you're on. And that team, the people that were on that team became – they were better. What's, the, what's that saying? They were better – the sum of the parts – not that they weren't great players individually, but boy, they came together. And you knew that they were, uh, you knew they were a team. And they just had an uh, alumni thing recently. I keep in touch with a lot of them. Randy Petruck, their goalie, uh, during that era, one of them, is actually a, we've had some great stories together. And uh, even though he lives in the States, down south somewhere now, we keep in touch. And I looked at his, uh, as well as Luko, I talked to Lukowicz here and there. And um, the boys had a, get together this year they had a coming home or whatever for that for that group uh which i guess would have been uh, 25 years ago so that was awesome and before i keep going geez rob skirlak even their tough guy was like super tough guys in that 94 95 year though they had more than that they had bob westerby keith mccambridge oh there was some guys yeah strudwick strudwick jason strudwick i forgot to mention him there's an nhler for hundreds of games and uh He's also a member of the Kamloops Blazers. So there you have it. Now, so Tux goes. Got three Mem Cups in 94, 95. He was 19. So uh, his last year, junior, it was a lockout. So it wasn't an easy team to make. Uh, I know because I was doing well my own. I was having my own good year in Tri-Cities. Damon Lankow on my line. He was leading the league in scoring. I believe at World Junior Camp time, I was fourth. Tux was... Tux and Lankow were first and second all year. So Tux was having a great year. And there was no question. I knew that he would make it. Just playing against him every day would be insane for any junior team not to have him on it. Uh, I, I could even make a case for Darcy Tucker on Team Canada when he played um, in the NHL. I'd give you a hundred. And I know people that know Darcy and watch him could say it too. He's not going to get cheated, man. He's got the most passion I've ever seen with my own two eyes. And he plays bigger than himself. And his stats always impress. Uh, and so we see people always say, oh, he's, he's, he's small. He can't skate. You know, he skates funny. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Tux is so determined and his hockey IQ is off the charts. So even though his skating maybe wasn't perfect and maybe he wasn't, you know, six foot two twenty or whatever you're going to say, he played like it and he fought all, he fought bigger guys and beat them. He scored against bigger guys and beat them. And just the odds were always against him. He's a winner. He's a winner. But that's kind of the end of the story. As the, I, I, I jump ahead. So 
anyway, he gets the World Juniors. So 94-95 was a tough year because it was a lockout. So like all these guys that would have been in the NHL, like I don't know, Jeff Friesen, Alexander Dake, he was one. Uh, Brian McCabe, although he's defense. Uh, Brian Smith, you know, I'm going down the list. I, I, I can't remember every single player. Todd Harvey, that was on that team. But I know that a lot of them would have been in the National Hockey League and wouldn't have been at the World Juniors, right? But, uh, so it was, a t- it was a real, real tough World Junior team to make. And Tux made it and contributed and uh, just continued his win. So he had three Memorial Cups and a World Junior Championship and individual awards up to Ying Yang before he was even 20. Now, first year in the AHL, first year American Hockey League, Rookie of the Year, right? Rookie of the Year, 93 points, I think. Again, no one thought, oh, when he hits pro, he's going to slow down. No, kept going. Which brings us to 96, 97. Because that was 95, 96. He was rookie of the year in the A. 96, 97. Uh, I was trying out for the Canadians. Uh, it was my second year trying out. And I fully expected to go back to junior, but um, they were rebuilding. It's an odd time to come into Montreal because they were really used to winning. And I don't think they made the playoffs in 95, 96. Or, or I, I don't think. It was around, the, around that time they didn't make the, the playoffs two, two out of the three years. Anyway. Point being, I don't think they, they thought they were going to win the cup off the start of the year. So Mario Tremblay, I have a decent camp. And Mario Tremblay calls me in, the coach at the time. And uh, he says, we're going to give you a, a shot. And he said, I'd rather you stay here and practice. He said, you're not going to play many games. You're, you'll be our literal last, you know, the last guy that we put in. Which, which happened during that year. There was defensemen dressed ahead of me sometimes. Um, but, I mean, I didn't care. It was the NHL. Um, and that was his thing. He said, you know, if you go back to junior, I can see you getting in fights all year. I think I had 25 in my draft year. And, that, you know, it was a, I know what they were saying. You know, am I going to go back and get in a meaningless fight against Prince Albert in the middle of November and really not benefit my team or myself or causes too much? while risking my NHL career. So, I mean, all they had to do is ask me not to do it, and I wouldn't have, though, because, like I said, I, a lot of times on the ice, I could control what I did. I was, I was doing it for a reason or a purpose. And if they just said that, like, like I ended up getting back, sent back to Red Deer to jump ahead a bit at the end of that year. I didn't get in one fight. It's the only team ever. They asked me not to do it. I had some concussions, and I didn't. But anyway, the beginning of that year, so they said, uh, basically said, you're going to be around till the trade deadline in junior. So that was great. That was gave me till February in the NHL. And I did get into three or four games, to be honest. I, I, I dressed for like 12 more than that. Uh, I just didn't get out on the ice. It's, it's, it's uh, not a game played when you, when you don't step on the ice at all. Again, people think I was pissed. I, was, I, was, I knew the situation. Yeah. I, I, the only reason I, I dressed for those is because we had two or three injuries and I wasn't going to get in the lineup anyway. We might have been playing. I don't remember. We might have been playing a team that was in our division that you know, we really needed a win. And uh, so there was reasons not to play me. There was one time, I believe it was L.A., but there was one time we were losing like five to one in the third. and There was like a minute left. I remember going like, why wouldn't you put me out now? Like, just give me a game played. But regardless, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was just a brain cramp. There's more that goes into a fucking NHL game at the time than trying to please me. So point being, I was never really that upset about that. But um, where was I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I was up there, so then it was about 
they weren't sure what they were going to do. And it was, it was probably two or three days before the season started. They gave me the word and I was pumped. They told me and Darcy, Jacques LaPerriere was coaching then. I mean, he seemed about 90 at the time. I don't know how old he was, but he seemed old to me. Him and Yvonne Cormier were there and Yvonne was trying to, no joke, he was trying to get his, me and Tux to use a straight stick for a while. We were fucking howling. He really was. Um, but um, yeah, they were old, old school. Good guys though, good guys. But Jacques LaPerrier took us over and said, you know, we want you guys to stick around for the year. Uh, which was, was awesome. Go up and he said, you got a few days now before we uh, make our first road trip. So go pick out a place. So me and Tux. And again, I didn't know him that well. I played against him in the Western League and we played against each other so much. Like we were never really friendly. We weren't on the ice going like, hey, Tux, how you doing? Have a beer after the game. That, that happens sometimes, but not in the case of Darcy Tucker and the Kamloops Blazers or myself. I talked to Aginla once in a while because I played on Team Canada with him. But that was uh, under 18s. But that was it. There was nobody else. Now, since a lot have been have become my friends, but ooh, at the time, no. And Tux was a prick on the ice. Jesus, yes. You went anywhere near him, and the ref would look the other way. You were getting a chop across the laces. You were getting chirped at. Uh, but, but of course, that's why well, I love him. Um, but oh, sorry. Um, so yes. Yeah, so uh, Tux and I actually. Uh, we got sent together. I don't. I don't really even remember talking to him much before that. Then when we when we went in, and we got our place, it was at the top of Dula Montagne in in Montreal, like two minutes from downtown. It was downtown, really. It was it was just as far as you can go up up Dula Montagne. Those have been there, and Dula Montagne crosses with uh, Saint Catherine. Right, it's the next one over from Crescent Street. So a lot of you that have been to Montreal. If I say Crescent and St. Catherine, you know exactly where I'm talking about. Well, it's right in that area. They're for, you know what? For those strip club literate people, it's a 30-second or two-minute walk from Wanda's. Um, it's, Wanda's is right around the corner. It, it's, from, it's close to Thursdays, Weinstein and Gavinos. You know those spots. Really not far from anything in downtown Montreal. I could walk to the rink. I could walk to restaurants, bars. There was no need for a car, really, although we did drive my, uh, what did I have? I said 28 Camaro. <laughs> I was driving it all winter in Montreal with Tux. But anyway, it, it was, it was a, a learning experience. And it can get tough, you know, because you're in that league. And we were there together. I mean, you're learning. And the boys are good. Like Shane Corson was there, which is, was awesome. And, and they ended up being good friends, obviously. They're brothers-in-law now. And I was there during all that when Shannon met Shane, uh, Darcy and we were over there for Christmas dinner, I believe. Shane couldn't have been any nicer. Shane really made me feel at home. There were other guys too that did, like Mark Reckie. Jeez, he was great. Vinny Damfus, like the, the boys were good. It's just Tux was, or Tux was like me. I'm saying to us, where we were just coming in, Shane was great. Like Shane Corson would have us over. I looked at Rex like almost a, not a father figure, like a big brother though. Like he, he'd come over and go, hey, how you doing? And once in a while, I'll invite you over. But with with course it really seemed like he was an actual brother i you know those that have been around him probably he's just always he's having fun um he likes to smile and laugh and uh we're very similar players me him and darcy have similar worldviews. so anyway we all hung out and uh it was great memories but i, I remember tux i'll get into it but jesus man he was like chirping mark messier right off the bat i remember that one of the first games um, 
when that Donald Brashear, who was a killer in practice, I just remember saying to myself, this guy has no pause button, no slowdown, no off button. He's just on. And everything, when we went to the rink, I'm telling you, from pumping the iron to being in the room and, and, and you know, if, if, if everything, Tucks loved a good loosey-goosey room, of course, you were, but there had to be a level of seriousness to it. And if you slacked a little bit, even in practice, he would call you out on it. And I love him for that. I, I do. We were all, we were both getting the shaft at the time. We're sorry. We thought we did. I, you know what? No, no, no. I wasn't. Tux was. I'm a year younger. People say, well, at the time you weren't playing as much. I think that year he, he got into a bunch of games. He did. He did more than I did, of course. His first year in Montreal, I think he only played like 30. I think that was the year. The next year, at least at the beginning, he wasn't playing. And when he did, he was getting like one and two shifts a game. So he was really, and, and he'd gotten the American Hockey League Rookie of the Year. I really do think that they misused him. And if you look, when they traded him to Tampa, he took off right away and had 20 goals, and then he goes to Toronto and becomes a star. So Darcy in Montreal was being misused. Me, I was only there that year because they couldn't send me down to the American Hockey League where they would have liked me to be. But you had to be 20. And they didn't want me going to junior playing meaningless games. Right the year before, I had 50 goals and 25 fights. So I remember Mario going, Mario Chomley going, what do you, what do I want? Like, what do you send you back to get 80 goals and 50 fights? Like, you know, so not that it was too easy, but I'm just saying. And the team I was on was in last place, Tri-City. If we were like Kamloops, it would be different. But the team I was owned by were Tri-City. And that's why at the end of 96, 97, right towards the end, is why I went to Red Deer. Because Reggie, Reggie Hull was the GM. Mario was the coach. Reggie Hull was the GM. Jean. And he just called me in and said, what junior team do you want to go to? We'll get you traded. And that was at the trade deadline. And I said Red Deer for many reasons, not the least of which my, my uh, good buddy BJ Young, rest in peace, was there. And that was an unreal score. And Aaron Ashton, who they had just drafted and I had just met, he was there. Ash is another guy very similar to Darcy and I, at least in the way he plays and his worldview and everything. And we're buddies, so that's where I went. But Tux uh, kept going and then eventually got traded and you know, he evolved, and him and Course both ended up in Toronto, which was a great thing. And, uh, you know, there's, there's only so much. Darcy Tucker is, is one of those people and one of those players that I can only say so much. You'd have to see it with your own eyes. And by that, anybody who was in a room with him, uh, he, could, he could almost be... Uh, what's the word? What's the word? He could almost be, he'd push you and be a, uh, he'd, uh, you know, a bit of a, not a piss ant. What am I, <laughs> what am I, like, uh, he could, his persistence could often be annoying, but he was coming from the spot, you, you knew it. You're like, you know, fuck off, Tux, fuck off. Yeah, but if you do, he'd be, he'd be all over you, say, if you, if you made a, a, a play that out of, out of laziness or if you started to get, you know, your, your, your attitude down and, you know, you didn't have confidence, then he had been there before. He'd won Memorial Cups. He'd, he'd defied all the odds. I'd never, when I, when I was 18, I got drafted. I hadn't really had much adversity yet. Tux ate it for breakfast. Kamloops, you know, went to Indiana, Alberta and got this guy that, was virtually unheard of because he wasn't in a bigger spot and they took him down and he made the Kamloops Blazers ahead of lots of bigger names and he scored more than all the bigger names. So I just mean that because of that focus and determination, 
if you ever got in, in, in the way of that, not, I, I just mean, yeah, let's just say I wanted to leave the rink early. I don't mean that I was a bad influence. I'm saying, okay, Tux, uh, you know, come on, let's fucking go. Okay, okay, Tux, let's go. We're going. To, Terry, Terry, I'm not going to get any fucking stronger if I don't do two more sets. Okay, okay. That kind of thing. And I love him for it. And when he was on the ice, uh, there was nobody I ever saw play with more passion and love for the game and respect and love for his teammates. And that's true. Some people out there now are saying, I don't think so. He was, I heard that he pissed his teammates off at times, but that's, you know, your family, right? You got to be able to know you can do that and uh, keep everybody honest as, as you know, the best teams I'm sure that Darcy was on also uh, called each other out in a healthy way. And that's all about winning folks. And we'll, we'll ask him about that because winning it's going through the ups and the downs and learning how to deal with it. And if, if no one called me ever out, I wouldn't improve, but there's a way to do it. Right. You don't say you suck going. You, confidence is everything. You don't tell a young kid, Hey kid, you fucking suck. Don't do get, don't do that play or don't do that play. Unless it's don't do that play. Then ever, then I'm thinking about it all the time. Unless it's a stupid, like giveaway on the far blue line or something. A lot of people, you know, uh, back in the day, a lot of coaches or even teammates, you know, well, Put you in a put you in a box. Well, so and so can't do this. So and so, I never bought into that. Um, but there's a way. There's a way to articulate your thought of your coach. Hey Terry, look. Okay, here you. You want to do that? You want to do that? Here's some things that might help you. You want you want to cut left on Dion Phaneuf. If you want to do that, you're going to understand he's going to come after you. How about this? If we put you on the right wing, and maybe you're coming from the other side, things like that. Right, coaches can work with you, right? The best often do. And I'm really digressing. Point to all this is that Darcy was a good uh, teammate, but he was also, you know, in a way, uh, coach, big brother type thing. Mm. Anyway, where are we with this? The last thing I'll say about Tux, I suppose. And I, you know what? I just started talking. I don't even know if any of this is making sense because in my head, I'm connecting dots that you guys probably don't see. I hope that so far, again, I've been rambling. I hope so far what you get is that Darcy overcame some odds. He was real young. He's from a small town, Indiana, Alberta. And his, 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 his uh, evolution as a hockey player, you know, between Kamloops and then Fredericton and then Montreal, then Tampa, Toronto, Colorado. Um, it, it, it came with a lot of winning, a lot of adversity, and, um, he had to always overcome the odds, I guess that would be some themes. So my best, and he's un unbelievably talented. People forget that. I mean, fuck, he could score a lot. He always did. I think it was just the way he skated around that threw people off. Um, but oh, there's so many, but. Let's just say this one, just, you know, anybody who's played a little bit and you're a rookie anywhere, this could be, you know, we just happen to be rookies in the NHL, but I, I look back at my like rookie when I was in the Tri-City Americans, WHL, the same sort of feeling. They're all like in your mind, you're new. These guys are all like professionals, you know, so it felt point is a lot of people listening. You can relate to what I'm going to say, even though it was the NHL, you can imagine, right. You're, you're, you're make, trying to make a new team. 
the big tough guy comes out. So Tux and I were there. So shortly after we got told to get an apartment and stay there, I got to know this guy. We actually got in a bit of a, we never got in a fist fight, but it was one of the first days I lived there. And he looked at me, he said, you're cooking dinner. And it was craft dinner and fucking hot dogs. That's what we were eating in the NHL pregame fucking meal. It was craft dinner and hot dogs. It was his idea. Not that I didn't eat that. We agreed on it. But something, something happened. I don't remember. And I was like, well, cook it yourself. Because I was going to cook. And I said, cook it yourself then. Like, I'm getting shit ready here. I'll be ready. And he said, well, how many Memorial Cups do you, sit, do you have? And I said, well, how fucking far did you go in the draft? <laughs> or how did you go in the draft? It was that kind of thing. It was this fucking alpha male, both of us. And after having played a few years against each other in the Western League. But that was it. That was the only conflict I really remember. It was the first day or two in that place. Anyway, anyway. So I'm, I'm impressed each day just figuring out this guy because I've looked up to him for years in the WHL and now he's living in the next room over and I'm going like wow and just what makes him tick and we go to the and he's always like what is the fucking world like the, the little ball of hate they call Aaron Asham that I think you could call Darcy like because he always had his back up like he was always cynical in a, in a good way like he'd be laughing but um yeah like humorously cynical um, about some things. So anyway, we got to the rink and he's just like, fuck, I'm going to have a good practice. Like, I'm going to go out there and like, fuck, I just want to have a good practice. I think he was frustrated. He wasn't playing much. I, I actually, I know he was. I remember him saying that. So, uh, and you know, when, when that was the case, we went out and had to go real hard in practice. Uh, and, uh, not that you wouldn't, but you know, we had to go extra hard as rookies. So anyway, he smoked Donald Bashir in this one-on-one bull in the ring, they called it. Like, just smoked him. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, he, I thought it was an accident. I'm like, oh, he hit Brash. And Bashir was just, look him up. Look some of his fights up. He's a scary-looking, big, tough, pumped. He's a big dude, man. And he's, re- he's a good guy, too. But Brash was a killer. And, and he was strong, if nothing else. He was just really strong. And Tux went back, and there's bull in the ring. Is you, it's you got to keep the puck from each other, and you're within the circle, like that little circle, the face-off circle. And the you know, coach might put you in there for thirty or forty seconds. Maybe they give him the whole corner because this happened towards the corner. And anyway, Tux bat him again, and I was like, shit. And then Brash turned around, and Tux with his glove on punched him right across the face and knocked his fucking helmet off. And all we were doing was bull in the ring. I was going like, which is a physical drill, but. Like Tux and the Brash wasn't definitely wasn't on the offensive here. It was Tux, but he was, you know, he was, I guess, trying to impress or doing what he does. I was like, holy fuck. And Bashir looked at him and shook his gloves and Tux batted him in the face again and said, what the fuck are you going to do? Hug me to death? That's what he said. And he was referring to at the time when Bashir, Bashir first started, uh, he really only wrestled. He, it took him a while to get the confidence to throw punches. Look at any Donald Bashir early fights, any of them, and he just kind of hugs on. I mean, I thought at the time, actually, Brash wasn't a great fighter. While we were there and shortly after, he, he turned into a great fighter. I'm, not, I'm just saying at that particular time, the first two or three fights of that season that we'd seen Brash in, he was just hugging guys. Now, they could have been Probert and Domi and whatever. I don't know. Um, but... I knew that he was a killer and he already did the year before kick the shit out of me and camp and Tux just batted him right across the face. And I went, Holy shit. And then Brash waited, waited, waited. And then he started laughing. I think Brash knew his job as a tough guy was safe. And I think he just liked the spunk out of Tux, but yeah, that was it. And then he was flying around like we're, we're playing doing practice and Tux was like leaping off his feet to hit guys and shit. Like, and I fucking loved it. And I'm telling you for me, I lacked confidence um, you might not think that 
now, and I joke looking back and everything, but I really did coming in as a 19-year-old. On and off the ice, I felt like an outsider. And when I saw that shit and Darcy, who I had something in common with, you know, even though uh, Darcy's got great skills and, and one of the best juniors ever and, and, you know, one of the best Leafs ever, in my opinion, it's just something about it. I knew he came from where I came from, so it gave me a bit of confidence. I'm like, you know, if Darcy can do that, I, I can at least do half of that. You know, I can go out and uh, I don't mean when it comes to the spunk. The spunk I had taken care of. It was the um, uh, it was the confidence, you know, to take the puck and skate with it. People don't really in, – in, in the NHL practice, as soon as – for l- large numbers of practices, I, I didn't want it on my stick. Like, as soon as I got it, I'd give it away. It takes a while to earn the confidence to skate with the puck. It really does. And then when you start doing you're like, where in the fuck am I going to go? It, you're not thinking the same. It takes a while till you, till you realize everybody's on the same level and until in your head you can turn that key. Uh, and, and I remember Mark Recchi was great like that too. He's saying, you know, he had a lot of points. He said, I, I came from Kamloops just a bunch of years before you. I played in the same league and you did quite well. And I'm like, and I did. You know, I had 50 goals as a 17-year-old, but, and a lot of NHLers don't. I'm certainly not fucking saying now, comparing myself at this point, I'm just saying, when you're a kid and you need things like that to be able to look and put things in perspective, I remember going, Rex, yeah, geez, you know, you know, if you had the same kind of stats I did in the Western League, well, maybe, I'm not saying I was going to be Mark Recchi or Darcy Tucker, but it gives you confidence to skate with the puck a little bit, right? And, and maybe pass it. And I mean, I didn't even want them passing me the puck because I was afraid it was going to bounce off my stick and I'd look horrible. That was my thought going in. That's how I approached when I say, oh, I think a lot of people do, I, I didn't want to. I'm just saying what I thought in my head. I can't make myself go out there and score, but I can make myself go out and fight. So what you would have seen to me out of me, and it wasn't because I wanted to drop the mitts or it wasn't because I was overly violent or nothing. But if you saw me in any camp for the first time, you'd see the determination and, and you'd see a bit of the Tasmanian devil first. And then, because I knew I could do that, uh, but I... I wasn't confident enough to go out and take the puck and try to go around Patrice Brisebois or Mark Recchi or fucking Vladimir Malikov or whoever it was and then go shelf on Patrick War or some shit. I just wasn't there mentally, right? But I could fight Donald Bashir. I'd get shit kicked, but I'll be in the fight, right? I can go out and I can hit and I can skate hard and I can hit. I know I can do that. So that's what I would do. And I think a lot of people approach it like that. I Um, but regardless, right, fuck do I digress a lot, but Tux was there to, to, to insert a little injection of confidence once in a while. I'd see him do it. Like, he would do all that stuff. He'd try to go around these guys, and, and I'd go, geez, nice move on Breezer. And he'd be like, yeah, of course. You know, he's just like us. I'd be like, yeah, I guess it, I guess it is. And um, Tux doesn't even know a lot of this now. He's, he's probably hearing it now for the first time but that's what i and i thought it was obvious those those were his attributes his character and i'm telling you at the time i that or not even at the time that those are the kind of players you know sometimes you get people that say analytics or no analytics i i don't think like any <laughs> analytics is really just keeping data like so it was always around if, if i don't know what if i came down and took five slap shots and five wrist shots and two of the wrist shots went in, but my slap shots didn't from the same spot. 
then I can go, okay, so from here, it's telling me that I'm probably more likely to take a wrist shot, right? Now, that's been around forever. That's analytics, right? Now, it doesn't, now we got it down to a science. But what I'm saying is that there, there's always a place for analytics. There has to be. That's statistics. Statistics is analytics, right? So if someone's out there and gets, I don't know, someone's out there and gets 50 goals, right? In the same amount of time, someone gets 10. Well, the reasons for that, they're, they're, there's your analytics when you look deeper, right? But there's also, a, there's also a factor. There's an X factor. And it happens a lot in the playoffs. I find analytics are easier to watch, at least in the NHL during the regular season, because it's the biggest jump in my mind, I could be wrong, and I could be being ignorant having only played one of the professional sports, but judging by what I see, the NHL makes the biggest jump from a regular season game to a playoff game, and I mean in the intensity and the speed and the physicality, which is intensity, I guess, right? Now, I might be wrong. I don't think I am, and... It's a, the NHL, for a lot of reasons, it's just so, hockey is just such a hard game to play physically and mentally. For obvious reasons, we got boards and other, other teams don't. So you're going to get hurt more, at least bruises more, right? You're going faster. There's more games. A lot of people compare it with football. I didn't think it's close, man. Football, yeah, okay. You got 16 games, though. A few playoff games, maybe. The NHL playoffs are longer than the, NA, the, the NFL regular season. Add 82 games to that regular season and exhibition. Hockey guys are playing like 100 games in 360, which is fucking insane given the demandings of the sport. But it's not going to change because of money, 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 money. But that means that at some point, you there's no way to measure some of the things that a guy like Darcy Tucker does, and those are my favorite attributes. Right. Uh, and, you know, Tux is the kind of guy like, why does the puck end up on some people's stick? Why do some people win when there's so many teams? What, like, why does Sidney Crosby have a knack for, for big goals? Why does Alexander Ovechkin? Why did Lemieux, why did Gretzky get his 802nd back in Edmonton? Why did Lemieux score on his first goal in his last, or his first shot in his last shot? Why does Michael Jordan have that at the last second of so many games and he can score almost at will in clutch moments? Well, there's a clutch man that's an it factor, and it goes beyond analytics. Sometimes, not every time, but sometimes, and it's the human will, okay? And think Rudy Rudiger. Now, Tux is Rudy Rudiger with an unbelievable skill set. If you don't know who I talked about Rudy Rudiger, go look that up, too, for fuck's sakes, and get the movie as soon as you can. Great movie, great book, great character study. But Rudy Rudiger, unfortunately, no offense to you, he sucked as an athlete. But his, his will and his determination was unbelievable. It was unparalleled to the point that he overachieved immensely by playing a game at Notre Dame football. But Darcy Tucker had that crazy determination, and he was talented, one of the most for his age. And it's you, and a lot of people, fuck, they, they still call me on it. I'm like, you're what, Colby Cave, God rest his soul, he had that. He had a bit of that spunk. 
you know, and, and teams see that and guys see that when I'm out there and I'm looking around, I'm like, okay, give me all the fucking analytics you want. I don't want Alex, uh, uh, Alexa Yashin or someone of the sort out there with me in fucking double overtime in game seven. He probably wants to lose so we can go home. I've never met Alexi Ashen. I don't know why. I disrespect him so much. Um, just don't think he was a good leader, but whatever. Maybe he was. But, yeah, so <laughs> there's <laughs> stuff for me to say, but anybody that's won championships, and you know that that's a thing. Um, and the higher levels that you play, and it doesn't, I'm not, I don't care what sport either. It doesn't have to be hockey. It's just there's a factor there that reaches beyond analytics. Analytics became – I'd recommend the movie Moneyball to you. And I believe baseball is more analytical, if you could say that. But it's more pitch, hit. Hockey, yeah, there's a – again, for the, for the factors that I named, you know, it's, it's one thing to be intimidated by fans when a pitch is coming in. It's another thing when a whole team is wearing black and want to hit you and they got the fucking music on You Shook Me All Night Long and the place is going bonkers and there's batteries being thrown at you and it's playoff. Well, I need that X factor during that shit, right? And they're fucking, you're coming outside, the bus might be tipped over. A lot of people just want to get the fuck off the ice. Your true teammates, they want to go to war with you. Right? When Darcy was one of those. But there's, lot, there's lots of those guys. And the analytics might say, I guess, in those games that they perform better. That's a form of analytics. But I just think that more people on your team with that it, X it factor, whatever you want to call it, definitely mean as much. You, you can, there's players that have, in every sport, that their will, I think I named Rudy Rudiger, but there's, there's a bunch that um, the human will is a huge thing. Almost any inspirational, even fiction and shit, like The Natural. You know, you're going to see some inspiring movie. God, Friday Night Lights, Hoosiers. And, uh, I could just keep going. Uh, remember the Titans. There's, you know, within those stories, there's often subplots. And, and, and often there's, there's the human will and determination to succeed, to overcome, sacrifice through unity on your team. That's often, often a theme. Not every time, of course, but it's often a theme, right? Has to be. It's a movie. You got to package a bunch of emotions and, and, and themes into an, an hour and a half to two and a half hours for the most part. So you're going to get that. I'm just saying, right? So those things mean a lot. Um, did I change my mind a few years ago? I was like, analytics are for the birds. Fuck analytics. I don't quite agree with that now. And that's even stupid to say because, again, you can call anything analytics. It's really just paying attention and keeping statistics, uh, basically, uh, on, on anything. But as far as the new age analytics, yeah, I was against it, but I'm not so much. All I think now, I'm, I'm not at all against the analytics, but I am adamant that there will always be a place for spirit, passion, will. And I would really take a look at that closely. And if you'll notice, most teams that win have multiple players. I don't think I'll be going on a limb to say the vast majority of players on those teams, uh, buy into that system and have that factor. 
And uh, a lot of GMs have it figured out. Some obviously don't. Sometimes it's not just the player either. It's a movement. Uh, and I will give Masai Jerry that nod, uh, the GM for the Toronto Raptors, right? The Raptors caught that fever. I mean, everything I'm talking about, and it wasn't just the Raps, was it? It was the whole fan base. It was the reporters. It was the, it was the country. That, that transcended basketball. I don't know why I brought that up, but that was one of my most uh, memorable. It was most, the most fun I've had following anything in the playoffs. And it's usually hockey, but fuck was that fun last year. Knowing Kawhi was gone, too. I mean, we all knew that, but who gives a shit? He came here. you good guy. Loved it. He came and helped us win, albeit fucking dramatically. But uh, anyway, exactly. How about the fucking X Factor on that squad? Even this year, before it got shut down, they lost Kawhi, and they're still doing it. Right? So those guys who overachieved, clearly, uh, well, those guys who overachieved clearly have that have a little bit of that X factor, right? So anyway, without further ado, I'm going to move on. We're going to be back with uh, one of my favorite hockey players of all time, whether I liked him, whether I knew him or not. Uh, but it just so happens we're friends and ex-roomies. Back soon, Tales with TR. Ladies and gents, it gives me great pleasure to introduce a former member of the Kamloops Blazers, Montreal Canadiens, Tampa Bay Lightning, Toronto Maple Leafs, Colorado Avalanche. He's got 947 games played in the NHL, over 200 goals, 1,400 penalty minutes, five times 20 goals scored, three Royal Cups, one, junior, one World Junior Championship. Before the time he was 20 years old, American Hockey League Rookie of the Year the next year, 1996. WHL West Division First Team All-Star two years, 94-95. Memorial Cup All-Star twice. Memorial Cup MVP 1994 when he was also the CHL First Team All-Star. He could really crash and bang and comes from Ndiang. And I got news for you. He'd saucer a pass and was a snipe show too. He'd often make me mad as hell when we battled back in the WHL. He'd fire power play lasers on the Kamloops Blazers. What's that now? You want more, son? Okay, how about this? He's married to Corson. His wife is hot, and he has a left shot. His clothes are always in fashion, and boy, did this guy play with passion. I got no beef with this maple leaf. When we were in Montreal, life was great. This cool dude was my only roommate. He kept playing, and I was no more, scoring goals for the Leafs while I did folklore. If you need a winner, a dangler, and also a mucker, ladies and gentlemen, it's my friend, Darcy Tucker. And there you go. <laughs> wow. That was amazing, buddy. It was. And you know what? Uh, it was. Give myself a pat on the back. It was amazing. No. I mean, you deserve it, Tuck. Thanks, brother. Second of all, that's a... Usually, I've had lots of guests, and we go through all their teams. That's pretty impressive. Such a long career. The Blazers, Canadians, Lightning, Leafs, and Avalanche. That's about it. Now, we're going to yeah, get into know, that. Yeah, you know what? It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed uh, every moment of it from... Uh, the time I moved away from home to, to go to Kamloops until uh, the day it ended, it was a lot of fun. Now talk about home. Yes, fun. I've never seen anybody play with more passion. I'm not just saying that because you're my guest. You're my buddy too. Tell me about Ndiang because this story starts fascinatingly, folks. Ndiang, small spot. How did you make your way onto the Kamloops Blazers as a 16-year-old being a small player from a small town? Well, I was playing uh, sea hockey in central Alberta, and uh, a guy by the name of Tim Arnold sent a, uh, 
a video to the Camelos Blazers that he'd taken uh, myself and actually Shane Doan was on the ice uh, playing on that team as well. So he had that big uh, video camera in the corner of the rink, not like today where you could just have your cell phone uh, holding it. Uh, he had to set it up in the corner and everybody in our small hometown was wondering what this heck this guy was doing, taking videos of, uh, of our team. But uh, yeah. gosh, it ended up working out for both uh, myself and Shane uh, being from small towns. Nobody really knew who we were or, what we were doing out there so uh it worked out uh, great for both of us and uh yeah just uh, went to training camp and happened to make the team how big is indiang uh right now there's a probably about uh, 18 people living in town um we have two streets first in maine and the post office is uh now turned into post boxes there's no post person there anymore they've taken that away so we just basically have the town hall and uh and the post boxes that's it left incredible now so Kamloops it depends on your perspective of living in all the cities look where you are now you're in Toronto someone going to Kamloops would consider it a small town you going to Kamloops from Indiang must have seemed like you were going to a big city did it yeah well I was lucky uh, I got to uh, go play in Red Deer the year before to kind of get myself ready uh, my parents um, you know moved me to Red Deer I lived there basically with the family for a year and played hockey there um, you know, I'd really never played high-level hockey until I went to Red Deer. And so I got a little bit of an uh, inkling of what it was going to be like to live in the big city. But going to Kamloops was a pretty big shock to your system, uh, wearing Wrangler jeans and cowboy boots. And uh, the kids at school didn't uh, really understand what the heck was going on when I showed up. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to live through some tough times to get to the good side of it. And uh, I was fortunate to have some pretty good roommates there in Kamloops when I showed up, and Zach Boyer and Tyson Nash. And, they got oh. me a few extra uh, clothing attire and taught me <laughs> the face of the world from the, the clothing perspective. Maybe that's why I was able to get a little bit better at the dressing part of it as I got older. Interesting. I know those guys, actually. I talked to Zach the other day. I'm going to have him on. Zach scored a big goal. Uh, tell us how you felt there. You know, you know the goal. Yeah, you know what? Uh, a lot of people don't actually know the story of, of the goal. Uh, Zach scored the game-winning goal in the Memorial Cup our first time we won it. and. Uh, the fact that Eddie Patterson was on that uh, on the ice at that time, he hadn't played much. He, he played Game 7 of the WHO Final and then uh, played a few shifts as the Memorial Cup went along. And somehow he ended up on the ice with uh, a minute and a half left in the game. And uh, he didn't have uh, the stamina that he needed to. And uh, he ended up uh, uh, having a long shift and throwing up, coming back to the bench as the play went up the ice. And Zach jumped on for him. And uh, the kind of the rest is history. Uh, Zach snuck in behind their D because uh, Eddie had been thrown up on the ice and confusing everybody. So, uh, and then Scott Niedermeyer back then with the two-line pass. He was looking at the clock. It was amazing. He was looking at the clock, and he made the pass to Zach as he was looking up. Uh, not very many humans can make that play, and he made an unbelievable play. And then Zach, who's terrible on breakaways, actually scored one. So it was, it was perfect for us. Incredible. So I told the story, by the way, in my preamble. It, was, it, it would be too hard to have you on here and go back and forth. So I gave a big kind of – uh, history of your experience with Kamloops. So that was one of three Memorial Cups. I yep. hate with, I, I'm, gonna, I'm asking some questions, but I also got some fan mail. That's one of the questions. Which one do you remember the most? I don't even really like that question because it's such a hard trophy to win. To win it yep. once, the odds are way against you. To win it three times, I'll rephrase Marcy's question for her. Um, you know, what do you remember the most about all of it, Tux? That, that, that's an incredible accomplishment. Uh, uh, the team that you had and the personal statistics, but what stands out? Um, 
the thing for me is they're all different in their own way. Um, you know, as, as a 16 year old kid, you're just kind of going through it. You're not really paying attention to the details around you and you're not really savoring the moment. You're kind of just in it and it's a blur. And, uh, you know, when we won the second one in Montreal, that one for me was, was pretty intense just for the simple fact I was drafted by Montreal. We were in Laval, which is like, the Good point. you know, every scout from, uh, Montreal Canadiens was at every game. Uh, and not only that, uh, you know, Ronald Corey was at every game who was, you know, part of the organization at that time. So for me, that was probably the most pressure packed one. And then the one at home was just, uh, I would say it was the icing on the cake is as a junior player, when you leave junior, junior, not too many guys get to leave junior on a winning note, and do it uh, in their own building and play their last game, you know, in their own building and, and host, uh, or host it and win a championship at the same time. So, I'd say they're all different in their own right, but you know, at the fact that I got to do it with some great people was a lot of fun too. I've never seen personally anybody's career come full circle in junior. Again, Tux makes Kamloops. I don't know. I'm thinking kind of, was it a surprise at 16? I mean, I didn't know you back then, but judging by coming from such a small town. Yeah, I I should have been there that first year. Um, I basically talked talk them into keeping me <laughs> oh, you got that i know you got focus you're gonna find a way you're gonna find a way yeah, I, once I, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna convince them to keep you for a month and then after yeah. that month if you i know you that's that's yeah. what you probably would do or what you would say you wouldn't want a free ride but just give me a fucking chance and i'll yeah. show you but you yeah. i often say it to people like because there are the odd kid even from here that goes to the queue and if you're even contending for the memorial cup i try to tell people like parents like i'll call them before and go like you realize, like, at the beginning of this year, Bobby didn't know if he was going to make the team. He thought maybe he'd play midget. And now it's one thing to make it. It's another thing, you know, to end up winning. And of all these people – so you're going back as a 17-year-old with expectations as a player, but your team – and that not only that, three years later, you, you leave junior the same way you came in. So for any team to win it and not lose everybody, that's, that's as much of an accomplishment in sports – as I've ever heard. And I mean that because in junior, you know how it is. There's a high turnover. You guys still did it now. Now in your final year, you win the world junior championship, which was a hard year to make it because it was a lockout year. And everybody came back from the NHL that would have been there. Like Alexander Daig, for example, not that you're not Daig because you were, I'm not going to get into it. I'm just saying at that time, it was a tough team to make. Now you win it in red deer, which is also full circle. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I was lucky uh, that year that uh, Don Hay was our, our coach at the World Junior Team. Um, I think, you know, anytime you're putting together, a you know, maybe a fourth line that you can trust and understand and know that they'll accept their roles, you kind of want to go with personalities and people that you know a little bit better than other guys. And mm. I think that's one of the reasons I made the team because he knew that I'd keep my mouth shut and, and do what I was asked to do. Um, and, and that kind of was the, you know, the reason I made the team in the first place. But uh, to get the opportunity to play uh, – for your country, uh, basically at home for me, Red Deer is only you know two-hour drive for my parents. They opened my Christmas presents up in the back of the pickup truck on Christmas Day, which a lot of the guys didn't get that opportunity. So I was, I was kind of living the dream at that time. And then obviously to uh, to go seven and zero and not lose a game in the tournament, be the first Canadian team to ever do so, was a pretty big accomplishment for all of us. And funny thing about it was, at the end of the tournament uh, after we won. Uh, I was one of the guys to have to go for the drug test. I was uh, five foot nine and 172 pounds, <laughs> one pound. 
I don't know what I was doing in there, but uh, I had to stay in there and wait for 45 minutes to take a leak while everybody was uh, celebrating. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's wild. That's funny, though, because you did have a couple of those years. You were like, like once you were 21, 22, you, you grew into that body, but you, you were... I don't want to use the word frail, but you were a lot smaller in junior. And that's why your battle level used to really impress me. Okay. So um, without sucking your dick too much, just that, that's what I'm talking about. So as yep. that transition was happening, you go in a really weird year in your career. As you go overcome the odds at 16, at three more cups is overcoming odds that are crazy. Then the world juniors. Uh, so you've been, you're used to playing in front of fans being uh, center of attention, being uh, a winner. Being... Then to go to Fredericton, and I know that's what that's like because I went there the next year. I loved Fredericton, but there's like, it was the Aiken Center. There's like sometimes a thousand people in the stands. And it almost was hard to get motivated. But you got rookie of the year. And this is a question actually from Matt in Fredericton. Who did you play with that year on a line in Fredericton to get almost 100 points? And do you look at that as a integral piece of your career or was it a setback? Well, uh, it's a tale of two seasons, to tell you the truth. Uh, yeah, I got sent down from Montreal, and I was, like, really disappointed. I, I actually thought I had an opportunity to make the Montreal Canadiens that year. And that's no, you know, shot against uh, their centermen who were there. Uh, Mark Bureau was their fourth-line centerman. And I figured at that time I could at least jump in and play that role and be a fourth-line guy. But uh, they sent me to the American Hockey League, and um, when I got there, I had a pout on my lip and I didn't play very well I think I had six goals at Christmas and I went back to the farm and skated with my brother and uh, the first two games after Christmas I got back-to-back hat tricks so I think sometimes in life you just need a little kick in the rear end and that was kind of my kick in the rear end to understand and realize that uh, you know in order to get to where you wanted to go you have to go through some uh, trying times and um, I went down to Freddie and and uh, was lucky enough in the second half of that season to do really really well and win Rookie of the Year. I don't know how I did uh, that, to tell you the truth, since I had such a terrible start to the season. But uh, the way I played the second half was great. I had really good line mates. I played with – most of the year I played with um, Oleg Petrov when he was down from Montreal. And Remember him, Pierce, yeah. Uh, I played a little bit with Scott Frazier when he was up and down as well. And uh, as you know, uh, TR, I wasn't the fastest guy, so I needed to play with guys that uh, had the wheels. I, I was able to think the game at their speed, but I wasn't able to skate the game at their speed. So if I played with guys that were a little bit faster, um, I was able to put up points. And uh, those guys had the speed and wheels for sure. That's interesting. I, we, we haven't talked about that year much, and, and you're right. I, I dance around it. I didn't want to put you down, but skating – because we have a lot of similarities, a lot. Yep. We shoot the same way. We played in the same division. We have the same kind of worldviews. We, we look at work – you know, work fairly hard on the ice and, and, and are similar players. But, yeah, and I was always, you know, that's why, again, I, I would do well with a guy like Lankow because I wasn't the best skater or the swift. I could get there a little awkwardly, but I can definitely get you the puck. And I know that when you get it to me, I can put it in. But you need yep. that springboard. Um, interesting right. point. Now, we experienced 96-97, uh, and most, most of that in Montreal, we lived together. I, I got into that in the preamble, um, which was, again, it was an odd year for me. Lots, lots knew was happening. I, I certainly wasn't playing much. Now, in hindsight, I don't want to give it to Montreal, but they clearly weren't playing you enough. It must have been frustrating. I, I'm just saying that because immediately you go to Tampa and put up stats, right? And then yep. you establish yourself immediately. You're your assistant captain down there. And Montreal had some great people within the organization. I got really not much bad to say about most there, but 
I don't really remember. What was the reasons that you weren't playing? Like you're, without, without selling out guys, because I, I can think of five guys right now that why in the fuck were they playing ahead of you, but let's not do that. But in your mm -hmm. mind, what was the reason? I don't know. I think maybe uh, my personality sometimes got in the way of, of things. I, I was a pretty brash and upfront sort of dude at that time in my life. So um, I'm pretty sure it rubbed people the wrong way in the organization from time to time, whether it be the coaching staff or the management. Um, you know, I'm sure the media didn't uh, appreciate that uh, some of the things that came out of my mouth from time to time at that age. But I mean, you live and learn. I think anytime you're a young kid, believe that uh, you have more to offer than what you're getting credit for. Uh, I wasn't afraid to say it at that point in my life. And, you know, whether it be politically correct or not politically correct at that time, it was what it was. So at the end of the day, I didn't get the opportunity that I thought he deserved. And, uh, you know, I bugged Reggie Houle to trade me out of there until he did. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing, Tux. I know you're, and it, you're articulating that fairly well, but like I saw it with my own eyes and that's what makes you, you though. Um, I, you know, if you didn't have that competitive and you didn't have that, I don't want to use the word cockiness because it was never cocky because you pulled through. Cocky would be, I guess, if you, if you said all of it and you didn't fucking come through with it. But everything you said, you were right. And to me, that was, a, a, at least through my eyes, of a 19-year-old that was sitting there looking for some direction in a world that everybody was older and more cultured than I was. I mean, we're going on the road. People are having scotch and soda, going to Mort's. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I only had a few <laughs> people on the team in and out. You, Rivy was there. Wilkie was there for a little bit. Yep. Um, you know, like, so I saw it with my own eyes, and I believe that that Darcy Tucker uh, will and focus um, is in your makeup. So... If you hadn't have done that, I don't know that it, you would have gotten where you were going to get so fast. Yes, you were brash. You were. But you were right. Now, listen, speaking of brash in another manner, that's one <laughs> of my favorite uh, stories. I told it earlier a little bit. I remember going onto the ice and we had to get it. You know, you had to work extra hard when you're kids and, and you're rookies and everything. But brash came in and you guys were doing the bulldog and, and you fucking hit him and you, you hit him and you knocked his helmet off. And he put it on, you kept going, then you hit him again. And I said, geez, like Tux, I thought like you accidentally knocked his helmet off. And then he looked at you straight in the eye and you batted him across the face with your glove on. And he looked at you and I'll never forget it till the day I die. I'll never, ever forget it. You looked at him and said, what are you going to do? Hug me to death? And that was when, <laughs> that was when he, remember he, Brash's like first years, all he would do was hug. He ended up being this slugfest guy, but he certainly yep. wasn't at the beginning. And I, that was one of the things. That was one of the things. And I was sitting there, and I was with a few of the boys going, because it was bull in the ring. It was only like everybody was just standing up watching you guys. And I was going, holy shit. Like, but again, exactly. Some of the boys went, holy fuck. Like, if he's going to do that, let's put him <laughs> yeah. in the lineup. But that's half the thing. So you go down there, and that's why I wanted the fuck out of there, too. Nothing against it, but I just thought, uh, not to put myself anywhere near your category, but I, I was a lot like you, so I know where you're coming from when you're saying that yep. some things you said might have come back. But you go down to Tampa. How was that different? I always wanted to know this. We talk all the time now. I see you once a year, but I never really brought it up. Was that dressing room different? Was it the sun? Was it the, you know, more young guys? Was it not having as much of a traditional uh, heritage or, or this major fan base that made you relax? Because you went down there and all of a sudden you, you put up numbers. Yeah, I think for me it was uh, like somebody, uh, you know when you're like, you feel like you're just treading water and you can't get a breath and you're like trying to get somewhere and you're going nowhere fast. Uh, that's what I felt in Montreal. And then when I got to Tampa, it was like, holy smokes, you, 
you walk into a situation where the coach appreciates you. Uh, they're going with a younger group of players. Um, it was just the right timing. Um, you know, Jacques Demers, uh, as you know, is quite the character, and uh, he thought very highly of me, and I really appreciate that as uh, as a player. Anytime a coach uh, believes in you and is going to give you an opportunity, you don't want to let him down. And I think I got down there at the perfect time. We didn't have a great team, but at the same time, we were definitely uh, – um, a bunch of young kids that had something to prove. Which was key in your development, for sure. Yeah. Um, and you were there for a few years. What was your – what are some nice memories, I suppose? Uh, it's, one, it's a part of your career that often gets overshadowed yep. because it's sandwiched in between playing for the Leafs and the Habs, which everybody in Canada is crazy over. Not so much Tampa. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, some of my fond memories, obviously, going down there and, uh, and um, you know, being a part of something uh, different. Um, you know, I'd never played somewhere warm like that. Uh, my daughter was born there my last year in, in Tampa. Um, you know, I think I became a player there, an NHL-caliber player. I don't think I was that in Montreal. Um, so that was kind of a springboard for me. Um, you know, Steve Ledzik was a, a big part of my development there. You know, great human being who's gone through some tough times himself lately. Uh, so I met some really good people and some really good hockey people. I still have friends down there to this day that uh, live down in the Tampa area. So it was just the uh, right timing, good part of my life. I uh, had my first child down there. It was good. Fantastic. Um, and do you, uh, going back, I got a question here from David in PEI. One has to wonder if this is David Ling. Do you remember Raffi in Montreal, the suit guy? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Raffy you remember was, Raffy, the suit guy from David and PEI? It's got to be. When was yeah, the last it, time you heard about him? It, it, I, he, I haven't heard about the the Raffy uh, <laughs> as we talked once a year. We, like, honest to God, I, I had a Raffy suit in my closet till the day I retired. Uh, I, I'm not you. I kept that one suit that I had uh, that he made, and it was brilliant. And I kept it in my closet till the day. I don't know if it was just superstition or what, but. Uh, yeah, Raph was uh, quite the character, I'll tell you what, Montreal. <laughs> this, this question uh, comes from Mike in Kamloops. Do you ever get back to Kamloops, and do you ever see any of the boys? Uh, we were supposed to have a reunion this year. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it uh, back to Kamloops this year for the reunion uh, of our Memorial Cup teams. Just uh, I coach my son's hockey team, and uh, as a coach here, you have to be uh, you know, on the bench with the group, so I – I can show up that weekend, but it would have been a lot of fun. Um, I was back for Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada, I think, in 2016 uh, in Kamloops, and that was a fun uh, experience to see a bunch of the guys that I hadn't seen in years. And uh, so I don't get back too often, but when I do, it's it's a it's a great time. Uh, do you see Chris Murray ever? I, t- I talk to Chris every once in a while. I saw him when we were there back in 2016. Uh, I think he uh, does some stuff with the uh, Blazers from a coaching perspective now. So. And I wouldn't uh, expect him to be any different than his mentor, uh, Don Hay. So I think they're pretty much two pieces yeah. of Now, I've, uh, so I was asked recently on another podcast what my favorite fight that I've ever seen, and then I broke it down into pro, junior, NHL. And my favorite junior is at that very Memorial Cup we speak of with the very person that we speak of, Chris Murray. What yep. were the circumstances surrounding that? If anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about, please Google it. It's my favorite junior fight of all time. It's Steve McLaren versus Chris Murray, 1994. Set it up, Tux. What happened there? 
Well, um, Murr was uh, obviously uh, the type of guy that would take on any comers, and uh, he had this um, thought in his in his head that uh, he had to make sure that he fought every guy that was humanly possible, tough on the other team. And both guys were the toughest uh, guys, quote unquote, from their leagues that were playing in that Memorial Cup. So um, I never seen two guys hit each other with punches like that in my whole entire life, honest to God. They hit each other square in the button, <laughs> 20 each, and I, I, I was in shock. And, and Murr thought he was Bob Probert in, in, in the big scheme of things. He used to take all his gear off. you just grab it, and he'd and go right down again, and you couldn't grab him. But he would stand in there and take punches. Like The only other human that I could think of that can take a punch like Chris Murray is Shane Corson, and uh, mm. I've never seen either one of them Good go down. Good uh, comparison. So, uh, you know, they're both uh, tough in individuals. And I think that fight right there uh, made Chris Murray a lot of money over the course of his career, that's for sure. I think so, too. Uh, now, and staying on that topic of fighting, I've noticed something. I noticed something in your career. You were always spunk. You, you, you know, you, you were, what, what's the word? You were just, you were a saucy guy out there. Like, you, you always had to be looking at what you were going to do. Not, not for the dirt factor in a, in a total marshal. I never thought you were going to hit me from behind. I thought if I'm coming in, you might clip me, though, and you might whack me like you were going to do whatever it took to win out there. Now, but at some point that came from, that went from antagonizing guys to dropping your gloves and fighting heavyweights. And you did more of that in the NHL than you did in junior. Not to knock, you were feisty in junior, I believe 150 minutes. I didn't do research for this either. I remember your first year. First year, you had like 150 minutes, right? As a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old, some shit. You had like 150 yeah. minutes early. But well, when I you went pro, you're fighting heavyweights. What was the transition and was it just what needed to be done? I think the transition for me is is uh, my first junior game uh, was against, um, I think it was against Spoke and uh, Brent Myers was in the other team. Oh. They told me that if I wanted to make the team, I had to be physical and hard to play against. So Brent got a, a suicide pass coming through the middle and I wallpapered him. His helmet went one way and his body was like uh, Scooby-Doo and Shaggy. He, his body wow. went great the other way. He was so mad. Uh, he got up and dropped his gloves. And there I am, uh, five foot nine, 145 pounds. Um, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm a farm boy. I better get after it and get this done. I didn't realize who I was fighting. He lifted up my face mask and put my nose in the other side of my face and, I remember Bob Brown coming down and Spike Wallace trying to put my nose back into where it should have been. And uh, Bob came down and he's like, what are you doing? You're 16 years old. Why are you fighting the heavyweight on the other team? You told me I needed to do it to make the team. He goes, well, I guess I did. So that was kind of the end of that story. But that's kind of my, my turning point on, on realizing that, you know what, it's just fighting. You can get your nose put on the other side of your face. It doesn't make one bit of difference as long as you show up. So I kind of learned that. And then, you know, as my career went along, I guess you kind of grow into your body and you become tougher, more physical. Um, you know, I I think I fought more after I met, uh, you know, guys that did it in the American League, the guys that I learned from and, and watched them fight. Uh, you know, it's the Robert's brothers and uh, oh. Gary Fleming and watching these guys uh, kind of go through the day in and day out of, of, of doing it. Uh, it kind of, you know, it kind of tells you something about the culture of the game. So I learned a lot from those guys as I was coming up through the American Hockey League. And then, you know, I, I had to basically fight my way into the NHL to make Montreal. So that was kind of my segue into it. 
True enough. I do remember in camp, actually, I remember you said to me, because um, we played on the same line for a little bit in one camp. Maybe it was 96, 97. That's why we lived together. I don't really remember. But I remember that you said to me, you said, you know, I can't make myself go score. And I always yeah. remember those words, but I can make myself go hit and I can drop my gloves. There's enough of a reason. There's someone out there that'll go me and that yeah. you can do. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I, there's no point pressure. What I can control is that I can go out there and work hard. And with that comes fighting, hitting, whatever you want. It's a physical sport that'll take care of itself. But you were right. Um, okay, so you go from Tampa. Now you go to Toronto and you're an experienced NHL veteran with all kinds of confidence in your prime where you'd end up getting 20 goals four or five times with the legendary team in a fan base that like no other. Clearly you live there, so you love that. Uh, but when you were first going there, was there a level of nerves or were you going, gimme, gimme, gimme? Could you not wait to get on the ice? Well, uh, I was, as a hockey player, you know this as well as I do, your number one thought process is winning a Stanley Cup. You can make the NHL, that's all great. Okay, I made it. And now you can do a bunch of good things there, score goals. I've done that. That's all well and good, but your whole goal from a time you're six, seven years old and you see it on TV is winning the Stanley Cup. You play for it in your driveway. You play against your siblings. You play against your buddies, uh, Shinny. It's to win the Stanley Cup. So coming here and getting the opportunity to play in the playoffs every year was uh, something that I was looking forward to. And, uh, you know, I thrived in those cir circumstances. I think I was a better player at playoff time. Um, and uh, the Leafs were looking for some sandpaper. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to bring it. As much as Toronto is uh, what they call a suit city and what have you, I, I don't believe that. I think it's a blue-collar city, construction workers, day-to-day uh, -day guys that uh, are going to work, essential business people that uh, are out picking up uh, garbage and building roads and, and, and things of that nature. So I kind of am that blue-collar sort of guy. And it seemed to work well with the fans of Toronto. I totally think, I think they identified with you and that's a good point. Your most, so this question comes from Phil in, Phil in Helsinki of all places. Um, he wants to know what your most memorable NHL goal is. Would it be the one I watched on TV the other night, the playoff goal? <clears throat> um, my most memorable goal um, would probably be, well, I say, I say this to people all the time. My first NHL goal and my last NHL goal, I guess, and everyone in between was just something that was part of part of it. Um, was you your know, first I, in Montreal? It was a home no, game in Montreal, wasn't it? No, my first one was in the, the great uh, Western Forum in L.A. Was um, it? I, I yeah, remember. I scored on the road in L.A. in a 4-1 loss. Uh, I had, uh, you know, more fun after the game than I did during the game because we lost. So, um, you know, scoring your first NHL goal in L.A. is a pretty uh, – What year was that? I, I guess it would have been 96. or Like, was that when – was that 96, 97 that we were there? Okay, so because I do yeah. remember – weird. I remember – and I remember being in L.A. Was that the trip that Valerie Bure well, – David Spade was there? I remember going to some, like, odd bee party because Valerie was married to Candace Cameron. Yeah, and that's the trip that you bought the foot massager in, uh, in San Jose. So, oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember that. And the little jab of the hut to give me some luck. Put, put yeah, it, there put, you go. Put it in my stall. Give me some luck. Well, depending <laughs> on the way you look at it, I'm not dead. Maybe it did give me some luck. Uh, do you still skate now? This question comes from Cameron and Timmons. Uh, I Cameron and Timmons. I try not to skate as much as possible. I have. Uh, as a hockey player, you beat up your body, and I've already got a brand new hip, so I 
I choose not to skate as much as possible. But uh, from time to time, I'll. It's like TR knows I'll make it out to Newfoundland and St. John's and go in the uh, hockey heroes out there and pretend like I still know what I'm doing. But uh, <laughs> mostly about the pints with the team uh, as opposed to the actual skating these days. We were scheduled to do that uh, next month, which is uh, yep. a letdown. When I say I see Darcy, it's usually at these things. The uh, the NHL alumni is a great program. When, when I'm in Toronto, I take advantage of it. And then there's also these events across Canada that various organizations put off. Here we do the heart and stroke. So 18 of the boys come down and they all get drafted to a team. We all played together for the weekend. It's a bit of fun. So that's, I mean, and you're in a, you're, doing a lot of this stuff so I guess most of what you're doing now would be coaching your kids and charitable charitable work would I be wrong yeah I, I work with the Leafs again as uh, one of their um, brand ambassadors uh, you know we're at a game with uh, Wendell Clark and uh, Daryl Settler and Curtis Joseph and Dougie just joined back uh, with the group we're now Beautiful. five so we're, uh, we're kind of like uh, having a great old time with the fans and telling stories and uh, talking about the games and watching the games with the fans. So that's a lot of fun. And then I have my Scotiabank uh, role uh, where I'm one of the teammates with Lanny McDonald and Cassie Campbell, Pascal and um, Austin Matthews and uh, PK Subban. And also now we have Natalie Spooner on board. So it's been uh, great uh, spending time with them and going across uh, the country. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's, as a hockey player, you, you play on a team, and then as you retire, uh, the biggest thing is missing out on that uh, uh, friendship and those teammate moments, and I'm lucky to have that with Scotiabank. I, I get to spend a lot of time, and this year, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time together doing a lot of work across Canada. It's a lot of fun. Now, I'm just, and I won't keep you much longer. Jeez, 35 minutes has gone by already. I, I said I'd only keep you for a half hour. I appreciate it. It's um, always fun. Uh, yes, and we'll have you. I'll have you back on again at some point. There's no way you can do Darcy Tucker just in one episode. We'll be here for ten hours, <laughs> uh, especially myself because we got so much history together. Uh, but a couple of questions though that I want to know personally. So I look at your Instagram, and you guys seem to travel a lot. Is that a big part of? Uh, you know, we didn't really talk about that when we were younger. But there, you know, there's free travel in the NHL. I always took took pride in that. You know, I get to travel all over for free, let alone get paid. But you guys seem to be hitting Italy. You're going overseas, Greece a little bit. Is that something you and your wife like doing, Shannon? Or is that something that your whole family? So I see once in a while the family's with you. Yeah, so what we've done, um, we had a cottage for years when I was playing. And that was kind of our uh, getaway I time. That. I didn't really like traveling because you travel so much as a hockey player during the year that I like just going up to the cottage, spending time up there, being in that secluded uh, part of the world and just shutting your brain off and getting away from it. Um, as our children got older, I think sometimes in life you forget about how much culture there is out there for your kids to learn and see and uh, be a part of. And uh, so we made a conscious decision uh, four years ago to sell our cottage. Uh, we'll probably go back there eventually after you know, we get a little bit older and things slow down in our lives and the boys are kind of done their hockey experiment and wherever they end up with that. And um, so we decided that uh, both Shane and I, uh, our families are really close, decided to sell our cottages and start uh, traveling for three weeks every summer and, and doing it together. And it's been a great experience. We have a couple other families to go where we end up being around 25 to 30 people on this trip. And uh, it's been great. We've seen a lot of different things across the world. Uh, I know it's tough for us. We're not going to be able to go on our trip this year based on what's been happening in the world today, which is uh, really tough for 
lot of different people, but we're fortunate and lucky. And hopefully in a couple uh, or a year or so, we'll get back to doing it again and, uh, and everything goes well. But yeah, we had, we've enjoyed it. And I, especially a boy from Alberta and sitting on a farm for a long time, you don't get to see uh, <laughs> and you don't even know what it's about. And then you're standing in it and it's like, holy crap, this is amazing. It's just wild. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's wild how far that you've come. And especially, you know, for all of us, like that you first get to that Western League, you know, and growing up, and it seems so far removed, but it's not really that long ago, really, when you think about it. A lot has changed culturally. But listen, I won't keep you any longer. Uh, do you have anything? What do you got on the go? You don't got cruel sports anymore. Do you, do you have anything to promote? You you guys got restaurants? You got your hand in about five pots? <laughs> no, not really. Um, I think life's become a little bit more simple for us. We've you know, we've dabbled in the restaurant business. Uh, you know, I was an agent for a bit, working with young players. You know, for me now, it's more about spending time with my family. And, uh, you know, I'm really enjoying being part of the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, here in Toronto. That's, for me, I've always kind of been a loyal guy. As you know, TR, I'm I'm one of those guys that once you got me, you got me. And, uh, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed being back in the fold with the Leafs. There's just such a good young group of hockey players here in Toronto and the organization uh, is amazing from Brendan Shanahan right on down. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed being back at the rink uh, with those guys and spending time with them. And uh, it's, uh, it's getting close. We're getting, we're, I really believe in the next uh, three to five years that there's an opportunity for the boys to do exactly what has always been meant to be done here in Toronto. And that's when Stanley cup. And if you're saying that, uh, I bet you that there's not just intuition, that there's a lot of truth in that. You know what you're talking about. You're a winner. You're a team guy. Now, I mean this, Darcy. I'll leave you with that. Thanks for showing up. But I mean it. I don't think I've ever played with a player that has so much passion, focus, determination. I've often said it. This isn't an insult. Take Rudy Rudiger. Now, give him fucking talent, right? And then that's what I mean it, because you got that attitude, but you're also talented. The only, if there was ever a knock, it was skating. It was always small, but it was things that you could overcome easily. It was never a knock that I saw getting in your way. And you and Corson still, um, you, you guys really, we were friends early on when I was going through a lot professionally and, you know, as a, as a mentally, as an individual. You were going through the same thing. I'm sure everybody has ups and downs. But it's me and you and Corson are really added to, uh, you know, who I am today. I really mean it. I appreciate, appreciate it. person, Not just a hockey player. I will I see you again that. soon. I will. Yep. Hopefully we'll have you on here, but hopefully I'll be seeing you before that. And yep. we can do the whole heart and stroke thing just uh, maybe later in the year. Good luck to Absolutely. the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'd love to see them win. I'd love to see you part of it. Thanks for coming on the show, and we'll talk to you soon, Tux. Appreciate it, buddy. Say hi to uh, Senior and Meme. And, uh, I will. Look forward to seeing them soon as well. Okay, buddy. And hi right. to your, your whole clan and course. See you, buddy. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers. And there you have it. Darcy Tucker, what a guy. What a teammate. Uh, just uh, an interesting story, too. I mean, I rifled through some questions there because I think I got to everything that I wanted. A, I guess I thought maybe a large fan base could, could benefit from. Uh, and I know we only had so much time, but we'll get Darcy back again, uh, you know, maybe even, maybe even two or three times, uh, if not, it's not just his story that he got to tell, but he's an ambassador for the Leafs now, like he said so, and what a guy to have an opinion. He's been an agent, so we, we, we don't necessarily just have Darcy on uh, to talk about his career. I think he can give some good insight. He can analyze the game, and, uh, you know, he's an inside voice with the NHL and the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is uh, great that the Leafs are doing that. You got a winner and uh, all-time fan favorite like that, you, know, you might as well use him and. Uh, 
It's great that he's an ambassador now for the Leafs. I'd like to thank Penny Posh, Women's Wear Reimagined. Uh, visit www.pennyposhdesigns.com. And just a note, remember, uh, the hoodies are awesome. We've been great, getting some great feedback. My wife, Danielle, sells them. Go to her site. Uh, that's pennyposhdesigns.com. But uh, so the hoodies are $129.99, and we've got them down to $69.99 for this COVID, uh, for the time being, for the social distancing. Uh, we got them down to $69.99, almost half price. And should you order one, and they're awesome, by the way, go to the site and look at them. I've yet to ever see a more comfy hoodie, and they're for all women, but uh, it helps if, or it, if you're pregnant. It, it stretches with you, and it really is it's awesome and form-fitting. But again, you don't have to be pregnant. They're just great. And like I said, I will throw in a signed pitcher. My father will throw in a signed pitcher, and I will throw in a signed hockey card on top of that to the order. So for $69.99, you will get a Penny Posh hoodie, which is unbelievable and worth double that, plus a signed Terry Ryan pitcher, and more importantly, a signed Terry Ryan senior pitcher, and I'll toss in a hockey card. That's Penny Posh. Next, we've got If You'd Like To. Support us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash the Hockey Podcast Network. And if you are looking for socks, you should check out Southern Scholar. Southern Scholar makes superior dress socks for men. Southern Scholar has reinvented the dress sock to form fit your foot and stay up your leg. Guaranteed to be the best dress socks you've ever worn or your money back. Use promo code THPN for $5 off your next purchase of Southern Scholar Dress Socks. Take it from me. They're awesome. Uh, I've got a few pairs, and I don't regret it one bit. I mean that. First-hand experience. Southern Scholar Socks. Check it out. Lastly, check out the Princess Penny podcast. Uh, it's my daughter's podcast. It's legit, though. It's pretty good. And uh, she's 10 years old. She wanted to do it. Uh, she always wanted to do it, and now we're... we're treating it as a kind of a homework project for her. But she does an all right job, and she uh, gets some decent guests. Of course, most of them come onto this show, but not all of them. And um, check it out, Princess Penny Podcast. I think you will like it. Once again, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the uh, interview with Darcy Tucker. I certainly did. It was great to catch up with my friend again. Stay safe. Uh, please obey the rules if you can. We all have, uh, we all have needs and wants. And we all also have to make a sacrifice of some sort during these times. For those that uh, need financial help, just hang in there. I'm going to be one of them soon, but uh, just hang in there. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of panic, but we're all, most of us are in the same boat, so hang in there. Love you guys. Stay safe. Try to keep it together mentally. It's a trying time, but uh, we're, we're, that's in the end. That's what uh, a benefit to humans is that we can work together. And uh, we don't always see to eye to eye, but we're going to have to in the face of this. And we will get through it. We're going to have to. Anyway, that's it. Thanks for tuning in. Love you guys. See you next week.